0: Hey, this is Chris Westfall, and this is the Financial Executive Podcast. Like many states, California had its economy turned upside down by the pandemic. Betty Yee, the second woman in California's history to serve as the state's electric controller and the daughter of Chinese immigrants, is now tasked with helping lead the state out of the crisis. In this episode of the podcast, we highlight Controller Yee as part of our Forward Thinking Live discussion series sponsored by Robert Half Protivity, with a session hosted by FEI's Financial Accounting Fellow, Jasmine Gamboa.
1: Good morning, or good afternoon, depending on where you're joining us from today. I'm Dave Araldi, Managing Director for our Strategic Account and Government Industry Practice. I'd like to welcome you to FEI's Forward Thinking Series and today's session on California's path to recovery. Robert Half and Protivity, which is a wholly owned subsidiary of Robert Half, are proud to be sponsors of the year-long forward-thinking series. As providers of talent and consulting solutions, our goals are to help all companies and leaders face the challenges of the future. The role of government has never been more important, and today we'll be hearing from Betty Yee, who is the second woman in California's history to serve as the state's elected controller, and also who is now helping lead the state out of the economic crisis caused by the pandemic. As you listen in, We hope you garner key takeaways as to how and why funds are spent in the public and private sectors and what is expected to be the new norm. Please enjoy today's discussion. Thank you. Over to you, Jasmine.
2: Thanks, Dave. Hi, everyone. Welcome to our forward thinking session on one state's path to recovery. I'm Jasmine Gamboa, and I'm the Professional Accounting Fellow for FEI. Today, we're speaking with Betty Yee, California State Controller. Ms. Yee is California's 32nd state controller and was elected in November of 2014. Prior to serving as controller, she was on the California Board of Equalization for two terms and was previously Chief Deputy Director for Budget at the California Department of Finance. She is a graduate of UC Berkeley and has a Master's of Public Administration from Golden Gate University. Thank you so much for joining us, Missy. To start, I thought it'd be great to hear a little bit about you in your own words.
3: Could you please share some of your background and your path to the state controller role? Sure, Jasmine, thank you. Thank you for having me. And please call me Betty. I think it will make it more conversational. (laughs) Um, I'm happy to be here and I think as we all think about you know the path um, that we've traveled in terms of how we've all um, really ended up in the space of really what i like to finally call being in the accountability business uh, it really uh, does stem from my personal journey I uh, grew up as a daughter of immigrants and uh, I uh, was um, essentially um, the uh, person who kept the books for my family's laundry and dry cleaning business and so that was my first foray into uh, finance but professionally i really became an expert in local government finance um, oddly enough uh, during a time when we also experienced a pandemic and it was in the 1980s during the hiv/aids crisis i was serving on a public uh, county public health commission and uh, looking at how uh, public resources were stretched at that time to really not be able to accommodate Uh, all that we needed to do uh, during the HIV-AIDS crisis. And that just honed my uh, experience in terms of state and local finance, Uh, began to learn the state budget process, Uh, also very immersed in tax policy, uh, which then um, ultimately had me serving in senior staff roles uh, in fiscal policy in in the uh, uh, California State Legislature. Uh, I did serve as a former state budget director under a previous gubernatorial administration, but I think uh, the common theme throughout all of this is, how do we look at um, really providing uh, the highest level of accountability and transparency with respect to our public dollars? And uh, it is something that I uh, take very seriously and obviously is uh, the hallmark of my, of my tenure as the California State Controller.
2: Great. Thank you. I always find it very insightful to hear about how leaders get to where they are now. So thank you for elaborating on that. You mentioned that you spent a lot of your life in California, as, as have I. So how has growing up in California impacted your role as
3: controller and helped shape your
2: perspective?
3: Uh, uh, thank you. Uh, I am a native of California. I am a first-generation American, um, as I said, a daughter of immigrants from China. And, you know, that perspective has always uh, had me keep believing that California is a place of opportunity. And uh, as the CFO of the fifth largest economy of the world, I take pretty seriously, you know, when we are faced with challenges and vulnerabilities uh, with our economy here in California. And we've seen, you know, those challenges and vulnerabilities brought into sharper focus during this COVID-19 pandemic. And so I believe our work ahead is really about how we rebuild our economy uh, and an economy that works for everyone. Um, you know, Even before the pandemic, um, one third of our state's workforce uh, was only making $15 an hour or less. And many of those uh, who were earning that much were holding college degrees. Uh, many are from communities of color and many are women. And so I think about just how do we sustain an economy when uh, that is really a pretty uh, broad foundation of what the economy is. So I think our objective and uh, my perspective about what needs to happen going forward is to um, uh, create quality jobs. Expand small business opportunities uh, building on worker resilience uh, so that when we're faced with uh, job disruptions uh, for whatever reason whether it be a pandemic or just the fact that jobs are much more maybe temporary or short-term in nature uh, that all workers are able to earn a livelihood and that allows them and their families to thrive and live here in California and that they're not living in working poverty and I also think uh, one thing to mention about California I think because of our tremendous diversity We really are home to a tremendous amount of talent, uh, including our immigrant workforce, uh, regardless of their legal status, who contributes significantly to our economy.
2: Thank you. Yes, it's always interesting to hear how your surroundings can impact your perspective and outlook, both personally and professionally. I, I too, actually am the daughter of immigrants from Mexico, and I think that diversity is part of what makes our state so great. So I appreciate you sharing all of that. Uh, Before we move on, Shivani, can you take us through our first polling question?
0: Do you have business operations located in California? Yes or no? Please remember, in order for your response to be recorded, you must hit the submit button in the lower right-hand corner. We'll give you a couple seconds.
2: And here are the results. Thanks, Shivani. So it looks like we have almost split right down the middle. Um, So it was interesting to see the mix of attendees we have. So on the topic of businesses in California, like many states, California's economy has been tested by the COVID-19 pandemic. In what ways do you think the crisis impacts all states in the same way? And what makes California's situation
0: unique?
3: Thank you for that question. Um, You know, I think in the early months of the pandemic, uh, we saw really um, economic damage uh, was really pretty um, across the board. Uh, the global nature of the pandemic um, spared no economic sector, and frankly, spared no state. And so, I think uh, we found all states uh, had uh, impacts with respect to uh, their tax revenues plummeting. Uh, that's true for states and local governments. Um, but I think uh, perhaps out of the lessons learned from the Great Recession, you know, many states ended this last year in 2020 uh, better uh, than early pandemic forecasts would have expected because of the hundreds of billion dollars of dollars in federal aid. Uh, remember. The Great Recession, uh, that certainly uh, was something that uh, came also, but uh, you know quite later in the in the process. And so, um, but I think what this um, pandemic-induced recession punctuated for uh, all of us is uh, what I call the, the tale of two cities. Uh, Low wage workers of so the service sector, hospitality, the care sectors were particularly hit hard with job losses, and uh, they don't uh, and they pay you know very little taxes, while high high income earners continue to do well, especially those whose earnings are tied to the stock. Market, and so you know, we just saw that um, you know, just uh, what those that impact in terms of you know the very low wage workers to the high uh, income earners, and this bodes well for California, and has resulted in tax revenue exceeding budget projections. Uh, but the warning here is that we can't uh, count on this lasting. Uh, The disconnect between stock market performance and the realities of Main Street uh, could not be more stark. And the other thing worth noting about California is the fiscal discipline that our governors and legislature have been exercising. Uh, When uh, the COVID crisis began, we met it. Uh, with a fully funded rainy day fund, uh, historic levels of budget reserves, and set aside reserves for education and our safety net programs, and you know, this is really out of an understanding that the volatility of our income tax uh, system necessarily demands building budget resilience in this fashion. And so I applaud Governor Newsom also for early on in this pandemic, his early and swift pursuit of a presidential major emergency uh, declaration that triggered the flow of FEMA funds to address the immediate COVID-related costs uh, fairly quickly. So. Um, I think all of those things really have contributed to you know California having you know, a little bit of, a, of an advantage and benefit in terms of how we met the crisis.
2: Great. Yeah, it was certainly a, a very difficult period, but it is interesting to hear how you've drawn on historic events like the Great Depression and drawn on the prosperity that, that followed. With the rollout of vaccines and lower hospitalization rates we've been seeing, I think people are starting to feel consciously optimistic. And on that note... How do you think the progress made towards getting greater numbers of California's population vaccinated will
3: impact the economy? Well, there absolutely is an impact, and I believe we're uh, already seeing that. Um, In California, our economy is slowly reopening, our schools the same, Um, possible because the vaccines offer not just a measure of health and safety, but uh, a big dose of what you just mentioned, Jasmine, that is of hope and optimism. Uh, we saw this week the findings of a Federal Reserve survey that the economy was rebounding in late February, uh, particularly after the dark winter of the pandemic and, and anticipation of vaccines becoming more widely available uh, through early April. And it was really buoyed by the stepped up rollout of the COVID vaccines, but also uh, the new uh, round of stimulus payments and assistance for small businesses as well. Um, you know, those two factors vaccines, the uh, historic amounts of relief and assistance. And here in California, that assistance is coming from both the federal and the state governments. And so we are using a good part of our uh, the, the uh, uh, revenues that are coming in beyond budget expectations. Uh, a lot of that has been uh, turned around and are, is going to be providing relief for individuals and families as well as our small business community.
2: That's great to hear. And I appreciate you highlighting everything that the state's been doing. Our next polling question ties into the next topic we wanted to cover. Uh, Shavani, if you can please take us through that.
0: Does your business have plans to relocate from any state because of an existing tax slash quality of life issue in your current location? Yes or no? Please remember, in order for your response to be recorded, you must hit the submit button that is located in the lower right-hand corner. Thank you. And we will give you a couple more seconds to answer this question. Here are the
2: results. Thank you. So it, it looks like uh, that theme relocation is not as prevalent amongst the attendees, but there has been a lot of discussion regarding both population shifts and corporate relocations outside of California. What impact have these shifts had on state finances and how do you work through those issues as controller?
3: Yeah. Thank you, uh, Jasmine. Um, clearly, we've been reading a lot more about. Um Uh, Those who are particularly living in coastal communities, uh, moving inland, possibly even uh, migrating out of the state. Uh, Also, uh, you know, companies and corporate relocations uh, happening um, uh, outside of California. You know, I think the population shifts uh, really are uh, in response to the affordability crisis that continues to be um, experienced by so many in California, especially it relates to uh, housing costs and also uh, jobs. Um, You know, compensation is not kept up. Uh, in so many of our uh, economic sectors uh, as compared to how productivity has grown. And so uh, the affordability uh, crisis has uh, just really been exacerbated. You know, in terms of corporate relocations and the exodus of uh, even um, uh, some high-wealth individuals, uh, it certainly will, could have an impact on state finances, and I think the question is uh, you know, the magnitude of that impact. Um, I think it's too early to tell still. Um, there have been studies to support varying points of view about you know what those impacts could look like. Um, you know as controller, I serve uh, on the franchise tax board. I chair the franchise tax board and I have uh, actually asked for an analysis that should be forthcoming. In the next period of weeks, uh, on the impact of these changes, as well as the reconciliation of some of the information uh, that the varying um, uh, reports have talked about about uh, you know some of the um, impacts that uh, seem to conflict with one another, because I don't think we really know. And that analysis will look at um, you know just what's happened with respect to uh, revenues for California and our finances uh, from past uh, departures of uh, of companies and and taxpayers. I wealth taxpayers uh, to then uh, looking at what that could mean for the future uh, looking at the state of our tax laws here in California for multinational corporations and whether um, you know issues like the single sales factor may have uh, um, an influence with respect to uh, either uh, weathering some of the impact or whether uh, it's not gonna you know make any um, uh, difference at all so I think that analysis will be telling because I think all of us uh, when we read reports about impacts um, these reports can uh, substantiate any conclusion we want it to have but I think looking at the numbers and what the experience has been and projecting out what it could mean uh, will be very useful.
2: Thank you. That's very insightful and we certainly see a lot of that in in Los Angeles where I'm based in terms of housing affordability and agree it will be very interesting to see the results of the analysis you mentioned on the impact of relocations and how that will impact future tax laws. So before we um, go on, we'll go to another polling question, Shavanya, if you could share that.
0: Do you feel your state has a competitive advantage over competing states? Yes or no? Please remember, in order for your response to be recorded, you must hit the submit button that is located in the lower right-hand corner. And here are the results.
2: Thank you, Shivani. So it looks like two thirds of, around two thirds of attendees believe their state has a competitive advantage. I'd be curious to see um, what states those words and understand the rationale, but we, we can save that for another discussion. moving on. Your role interacts with the private sector on a regular basis. In your opinion, what are some of the common misconceptions about state government finance that the private sector may have? And also, what lessons do you think that California can learn from the private sector?
3: That's a great question. Um, You know, I think uh, oftentimes, uh, actually, I've been astounded. Let me start with this. Uh, I've been astounded at how little um, ongoing regular interaction there is between state government and the private sector. Um, I mean, we're all in the same state. We're very interdependent, and yet uh, I find that unless um, you know, I'm speaking with perhaps you know somebody from the C suite or, uh, but, but just the regular interaction doesn't seem to be there in terms of just trying to expand our the understanding of the other. And so I, I really, uh, when this question is intriguing to me. Uh, I would say, hands down, the most common misperception about uh, state government finances how much of it is subject to waste, fraud, and abuse. Um, I can say that state government runs very lean and uh, I am the independent auditor for the state of California and while we do find that there are uh, state funds that are uh, directed to all allowed uses, um, that, is not, uh, that does not comprise fraud by any means. In fact, in uh, most cases, it's about um, you know, just really having a lack of, um, of uh, capacity because we are losing uh, and need to continue to uh, build up our talent. In terms of financial management and leadership, and so um, I think uh, the other thing that makes us different is that we are accountable to the taxpayers of California, not to shareholders. Uh, which means that our operations uh, not only are lean, but our mistakes are heavily scrutinized publicly, and transparency and accountability are demanded. And so that is something that I think is uh, is a difference. And. Um, But, uh, you know, with respect to what California can learn from the private sector, I think there is a tremendous amount we can learn from the private sector. Uh, I've particularly um, knowing that there's more work ahead for state government to fully harness and utilize technology to meet our business needs. I think if uh, there's one thing about uh, our experience, uh, I know in my office, in the state controller's office, uh, what we've had to do in terms of our pivot to uh, remote work to look at uh, how we are continuing uh, our business and our operations uh, technology has been uh, key and central to all of that um, and I think there is a um, a healthy partnership that can be established going forward about how uh, in the past there used to be this distrust of the private sector when it came to technologies um, I think the distrust really had more to do with um, just always feeling like you know there was going to be a sales pitch at every turn uh, when now really um, I think our own uh, ability to uh, serve uh, the people of California uh, really has to rest on uh, the ability to uh, bring these tools into play and know that we are uh, delivering in the most efficient and effective way possible.
2: Thank you, that is a little surprising to hear. I would have expected there to be more interaction between the public and, and private sector. I think most attendees are in the private sector, so I'm sure they appreciate you clarifying a lot of those misconceptions. Going back to the idea of companies relocating, in what ways do you
3: plan to make California more competitive for the private sector in your role as controller?
1: Yeah,
3: thank you. Um, you know, as um, as the controller, I actually serve on a um, on dozens of different boards and commissions that have jurisdiction over tax policies uh, public pensions environmental policy uh, crime victims compensation affordable housing and more so i have a pretty broad uh, policy portfolio you know i i think one of the things as i've spoken to uh, you know the private sector members of the business community uh, over the course of my going on four decades of public service in this in this space is um, you know, just the idea that um, you know, if you're in the private sector, uh, you know, there are so many factors that uh, really drive decisions about you know, whether to be here in California, whether to relocate. But I think the whole concept of certainty is something that um, really gets uh, little attention. know I don't know how anybody uh, is can be in business when there is not a sense of certainty about uh, what they may be facing whether it be taxes whether it be regulations uh, whether it be other types of mandates Uh, you know all these things really uh, help to um, you know with uh, business planning and certainly looking at um, what the future of companies may look like in in California but I also think there's an expectation that as a government that we uh, sustain our investments in things like education um, and um, I think more and more now particularly with this pandemic and i did recently finish my service on the governor's future of work commission and uh, to me uh, one of the major takeaways from that effort was um, the need to look at addressing what i call more of the work adjacent issues um, the uh, issues such as housing and health care and childcare, uh, you know and their affordability uh, which has the potential of driving away or stunting you know, the full development of talent uh, that both the private and the public sectors rely on uh, here in California. And so I think, um, you know, just policies that are conducive to Certainly um, making this a place where people can afford to be, uh, where we can continue to make investments so that there is a uh, ready and talented workforce uh, that companies can rely on. And also where we can provide some certainty with respect to uh, just uh, you know just what the rules of the game are in terms of doing business here in California. And I think uh, as, as uh, companies leave the state, those are things that are uh, provided uh, that are attractive that uh, companies uh, look at uh, when they make their decisions about whether to stay or leave.
2: those all sound like great tangible ideas, in particular, the concept of certainty that you mentioned. It's also helpful to hear that affordability and consideration of that for a talented workforce is a top priority, along with the fact that there's certainly other draws to staying in California, including the weather, diversity, and having every type of cuisine you could imagine available to you. Absolutely. And we actually have one more uh, polling question. So Siobhan, if you could help us with that.
0: Have economic impacts from COVID-19 resulted in more interaction with your state government? Yes or no? Please remember, in order for your response to be recorded, you must hit the submit button in the lower right-hand corner.
2: And here are the results. Thank you. So it looks like we're split right down the middle there. And on another note, uh, standing up to and eradicating discrimination, racism, and other forms of injustice have been top priority for individuals and organizations over the last year. What steps have you seen or do you believe would be helpful for the private sector to take in helping society address some of these challenges?
3: Thank you. Um, First let me just say, um, I've really been moved by um, business leaders and companies speaking out against racial injustice uh, because their voices matter. (laughs) And um, I I do just want to inject a personal note, uh, particularly with the more recent attention focus on uh, uh, hate and um, acts of violence against the uh, Asian Pacific Islander community. Uh, I've was just very taken by the um, numbers of uh, communities, companies, um, just really um, uh, almost a a global universal response to standing up with our community. And that really um, just makes a difference in terms of how we feel supported. Uh, But I think speaking out is um, a first step to what I hope can be um, something that every leader uh, considers in terms of how to address the current inequities, perhaps starting within their own company. Or within their own organization, um, and doing it in a bold way that not only embraces a more diverse workforce, but provide an inclusive and equitable experience for uh, all of the, the workers of, of, of the team. You know, I think um, I've been doing a lot of reading, and I, I um, when the Black Lives Matter protests were elevating last spring, uh, I um, really felt compelled to do a lot of uh, reading about the history of Black America, and. It's clear that the current inequities, um, not just for that community, but for so many of our communities are the manifestation of centuries-old exclusionary policies. And so as I think about you know, how to address um, these inequities, you know, they do have to be addressed deliberately, uh, intentionally, um, albeit you know, still urgently uh, in a manner that uh, has to be accountable and transparent. Um, in other words, I think uh, we're all expected to walk the talk and mean it, um, you know, today and uh, and every day. And uh, I'll just say that, you know, we find ourselves at this time now where um, there's so much that's taking our attention in different directions, right? So first and foremost, just trying to uh, stay healthy and safe, uh, that, uh, ensuring that for our loved ones and uh, certainly for our team members. But also, as I think about um, this recession and just how many livelihoods have been, um, you know, essentially destroyed and uh, what that's going to mean in terms of our work uh, rebuilding this economy together. Uh, looking at uh, this uh, uh, growing outcry for uh, racial and economic justice and equity. And then here in California, we also are dealing with the challenges of already climate change. Uh, there's been no part of the state that's been spared from uh, wildfires. It's become a year-round event, and uh, I think we're going to see more uh, challenges as it relates to uh, the warming of our planet. And I mentioned those four things because I think um, within each of those, um, this whole issue about uh, racial justice and equity has a uh, has a lane in each of these uh, in each of these four areas. And you know, we saw the disproportionate impacts of COVID on our communities of color. Uh, we are seeing that the recession has hit our service sector industries, and our hospitality industries, the majority of the workers are, of whom are, uh, are uh, from communities of color, uh, and, and women, and, and frankly, you know, low-income Californians. Uh, we have seen that the increasing outcry for racial and economic justice and equity, uh, as I said, is really a manifestation from centuries-old um, policies that have been exclusionary and uh and then also you know when we talk about climate change i think there are enormous opportunities uh, for how we can uh, respond to each of these that actually builds equity and justice in terms of our response. So uh, I'm excited about that. I think the private sector has a huge role to play in that, certainly the public sector as well. And uh, I do think that we can hopefully model um, kind of a, a new age of where, uh, as we recover, that we can actually talk about concepts like shared prosperity, or we can talk about uh, equity, or we can talk about justice, or we can talk about you know the kinds of things that uh, really have been great in terms of policies, but the follow through on actual, you know, just the realization of those policies has come up very short over the course of our history.
2: Thank you. I really appreciate you sharing your insights on this topic and really appreciate you mentioning educating ourselves further is certainly something that you know can be applied by everyone, but it is equally important that we put that education into practice in our everyday lives. So there are ways we can all individually contribute to eradicating racism, and it is great to see at least some companies step up and really have a firm zero tolerance policy. Absolutely. With with that, I think we have some questions from the audience. We can get to if that's okay? Of course. Sure. So one question we had is, did the state provide supplemental income checks to citizens last year? How many? And this year,
3: um, what was the quantity as well? Sure. Uh, So the state, um, outside of our unemployment insurance program, did not provide uh, supplemental income checks, but this year we are. Uh, So we have um, a program that will be providing, um, really, on the magnitude of probably, at the end of the day, millions of dollars. It's already uh, surpassed uh, about one and a half million billion of what we call golden stimulus uh, payments, and these will be going to our most low-income households. Uh, it will be um, provided as a supplement to those who are eligible for the California Earned Income Tax Credit Program. And uh, we know that uh, that is uh, the, the population that we want to uh, address and target. And uh, So um, we actually enacted this program as we were waiting for the new federal relief bill to, to be signed, uh, just so uh, California had some expectation that there would be uh, some assistance uh, forthcoming. So that is really the, the, the big uh, piece of our of our stimulus program. Uh, uh, and assist us pain and self-mental
2: Great. I appreciate you sharing additional details on that. Another question we had was, do you believe the expansion of reliable public trans of a reliable public transport system throughout California would benefit California economically and in what
3: ways? I I do. Um, It's uh, interesting. We've been, uh, I I think, it's been um, kind of this hot potato that's been bounced around in terms of the future of our high-speed rail project here in California. Uh, But more importantly, uh, the uh, opportunities that that uh, rail system could open up with respect to other, you know, transit services and certainly economic opportunities as well. You know, I think about uh, just how big California is, right? And so the ability uh, to have, um, you know, uh, affordable modes of mobility. I think is really important um, right now, uh, just not from an economic perspective, from a climate change perspective. Um, And uh, I think one of the marvels that I think all of us uh, just kind of took a gasp about was just uh, the fact that during the early months of the pandemic, uh, we didn't see any cars on the roads. (laughs) What if our new reality was something that could really make that a a permanent solution? And uh, of course, now with the economy reopening, we're seeing uh, traffic uh, pretty close to where it was prior to the pandemic. But I do think it was uh, something that uh, at least questioned uh, the the value of uh, public transportation, uh, about getting cars off the road, about what that could mean in terms of uh, really having workers not have to um, you know commute such far distances by car. Um, but as it relates to kind of the the, the larger uh, uh, transportation systems like the high speed rail system, uh, I do think that um, you know as we have uh, such distinct regions in California, you know the ability to really connect. Uh, And particularly, you know, moving people uh, is, uh, I think, uh, something that I'm excited about because it suggests to me that of all the challenges that we've been talking about here today, Jasmine, um, I'm a firm believer that we have all the solutions here in California. It's just a matter of you know, how we reach in and find those, and I think each region has its own attributes of what they can offer. So, for example, if we're going to deal with another pandemic that relates to food food security, that really taps into uh, how we're going to need to be sure that our food supply is uh, intact and strong and healthy. Um, I think we need to be able to connect with, you know, obviously our agricultural sectors of the states, and so you know those things. I think we're we're uh, talking much more about today, and I and I particularly um, like the innovation around uh, just some these conversations, because it suggests to me that uh, we likely will be better prepared for the future, uh, should we have another pandemic or another major economic disruption.
2: Yes, I agree. That's uh, certainly been the case. This has definitely been a a huge learning opportunity across all industries. Um, And so on that note, how has the pandemic impacted work in your office? And as part
3: of that, are there plans at the state capitol to go back to meeting in person? Yes. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, You know, I think um, we have in the controller's office uh, a uh, 1,400-strong team, and about two-thirds of our team uh, were immediately directed to remote work right after the, uh, the, the beginning of the pandemic. And uh, that has worked well. I think we have uh, really uh, adapted well. Uh, obviously, I think like everyone else, we miss just the casual, uh, you know, informal interactions. Uh, I think all of us are hungry for that—to be around people and to just uh, kind of have that uh, have that experience again. Uh, but I do think, with respect to the operations of the controller's office, uh, we didn't miss a beat. I mean, the, my, I'm just really proud of my team. Uh, we uh, carried on our operations as usual. Um, Tax refunds continue to be made, payroll continue to be made, uh, payments to vendors, our uh, allocations and apportionments to local governments and school districts. So it didn't be beat there. And in fact, what we did do was accelerate just some of our um, technology uh, initiatives to where uh, understanding COVID uh, really necessitated uh, less people interacting with one another. Uh, we were able to make some uh, significant enhancements with respect to how we uh, handle just uh, even the uh, maintenance of payroll records for every state employee. So there is now a portal that state employee can access that uh, has their payroll records uh, in it uh, that they can, uh, 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 that they can uh, avail themselves of. So I would say that we've uh, done well uh, but obviously uh, very uh, hungry to be in person again. You know the one thing I will say about um, just the public's uh, experience about uh, working remotely and having virtual public meetings uh, on the various boards and commissions on which I serve, I will say that it's actually facilitated much more public participation. Um, You know, members of the public don't have to travel to a meeting. To actually provide uh, commentary and I think that's a healthy dynamic in terms of our democracy Uh, I do think uh, there have been some limitations to technology that has also um, uh, limited uh, participation as well I see some of the hearings of the state capital and uh, I know just because of the tremendous workload that they have they have had to put some limitations on you know just some of that public input and so I I don't know that that's healthy over the long term but uh, out of necessity they have done that so I think it's still a mixed bag but by and large I would say um, you know, At least we've had the capability to meet virtually. Uh, at least we're able to have this interaction today, which I'm thrilled about because uh, you know I don't think any of this stops or should stop. And in fact, if we're going to be working through this together, I think these types of things really need to continue to happen virtually or otherwise.
2: Great. Thank you for, for sharing all of that. And I agree, I think going forward in a lot of organizations, we're seeing a plan to not go back a hundred percent, but find ways to incorporate uh, a hybrid environment where some people can
3: attend in person and others can equally participate virtually. Exactly. And I know the governor has um, uh, directed all of the state agencies and departments to look at um, essentially um, uh, budget savings from reducing our fiscal footprint. Uh, so uh, you know remote work teleworking is going to be a permanent option. And so I think having that flexibility for each of the state agencies uh, in terms of what it means for, for the work and the, and the business of uh, each of the state agencies is, is good. It'll uh, create some flexibility that I think will be healthy in the moment.
2: Great. And that, that goes along with another, I think you, you might have touched on it, but another question from the audience was um, it sounded like you were a little surprised that business was able to be carried out as usual with, work, with moving to a remote environment. Will a hybrid environment be considered going forward or the ability to be 100% for remote workers?
3: Yes, uh, so the way that we are um, really pursuing that with our team is um, we're obviously looking at our uh, operational need. Uh, I think a hybrid um, model is uh, likely what's going to happen. Um, I do think that um, part of what has been the experience for so many of our team members, and I think this is true from every company to every organization, is um you know, just the, the immediate needs that had to be met with this pandemic. And I would say, you know, the, the um, distinction between personal and professional needs, I think, got a little blurred in the early months of the pandemic. Uh, but that's okay, because I think uh, they were very, very um, uh, interrelated uh, in terms of, you know, the ability of uh, any of our team members to continue to work and to uh, carry out operations uh, really was dependent on their ability to deal with their uh, situation at home, whether it was children learning from home to uh, being a caregiver for, you know, an eligibility relative, you know, whatever the situation is. Uh, So I do think that... know going forward that uh, uh, this is uh, going to be um, something that we can carry out I think there are a lot more platforms Uh, I will tell you I've been so impressed by uh, applications like slack and others that um, you know just create these environments that almost feel like you're not really missing out on a lot of things right and so uh, to be able to uh, interact real-time with your colleagues to be able to have you know files shared real-time to you know I think all of these things just uh, make for more flexibility and um, of course I think we all want to be uh, in person together with one another Uh, it is uh, that exchange that i miss uh, frankly with my team uh, that uh, i think uh, as we can at least uh, anticipate that happening on a a part-time basis uh, that likely will uh, really enhance the experience uh, based on uh, compared to what we've uh, been experiencing this past year
2: thank you i think to that point it has been impressive to see all the different platforms that have rolled out. I think we've all become almost mini IT experts yes. <laughs> in our homes having to learn how to navigate all of the different software and platforms for meetings that, that you know to an extent do make it feel like you're connected in person and I think video certainly helps with Absolutely. that like we're doing here. Yes. And an interesting follow-up question, um, if remote from the audience, if remote work is an option Will the city or state agencies be able to hire from outside of the state, or is that something that's been considered?
3: Yes, uh, it's a question that has come up. Um, you know, I think one of the benefits could be, you know, just the expansion of our talent pool, right? And so uh, it is something that has come up quite a bit, uh, especially as we're uh, looking for um, talent that uh, may not be um readily available in California, uh, so I do. Th- so it's under consideration. Obviously, a lot of implications in terms of what that means. Um, you know, just from a uh, from the personal uh, at the personal level of each uh, individual hire. Um, you know tax implications. You know just a lot of considerations around you know residency issues. Um, I think for the state, um, there'll be issues around you know how you deal with uh, particularly some liability issues. Um, you know how do you look at um, uh, I mean the practical effects of you know in the potentially time zone issues and you know how that all works for people. Uh, but I, I think let's just get a. Really, probably uh, be something that I would say the private sector is going to be informing the public sector about how that uh, can work. Uh, this is happening already in so much of the public sector, private sector. That uh, I certainly want to learn more about uh, what's possible for the for the public sector and whether that is a, a feasible option in terms of how we expand our talent. Yes,
2: def- definitely agree with that, and it'll be interesting to see how remote working enables people to take positions, you know, they never dreamed of right. being able to apply for you to having to relocate. So exactly. I think that opens up a ton of opportunity. Um, another audience submitted a question was, what are some of the tangible goals you have for the state's economy during your time as controller?
3: Yeah, so um, I think um, in terms of tangible goals, I would say... Um, really looking at, uh, and and unfortunately my term will end at the end of next year, but uh, I really do hope that we get a a handle on our housing situation here in California. You know, when I think about our economy here in California, so much of it is dependent on um, the availability of affordable housing. And it used to be affordable housing had to do with income levels, but it's much more than that now, uh, particularly given the high cost of of, uh, just being here in California and how um, the demand for housing has not kept up. I mean, the, the production of housing has not kept up with the demand. Uh, there have been all kinds of uh, um, uh, proposals to look at how we can increase that uh, demand. Uh, but what I would like to see uh, eventually, and it is something I'm working on, is uh, how do we streamline uh, our housing um, processes at the state so that um, you know, we actually can have developers who interface with the state in our over a dozen state agencies that are involved in housing approvals um, over half a dozen different housing finance uh, programs Uh, we can be more efficient with respect to not adding to the delay and then obviously the costs of uh, building housing. And I think that's something that uh, I'm confident that between now and the end of next year, we will make some uh, particular headway on. I think also with respect to the economy, um, I would like to see a lot more robust conversation happen and actually uh, some proposals put into place um, as we recover from this uh, recession uh, that really speaks to job quality. You know, what happened after the Great Recession uh, in 2008, uh, when uh, we were recovering from that was that we did create a lot of jobs in California, uh, but many of them were in the low-wage service sector. And so I would like to have an emphasis be on job quality rather than on job quantity uh, so that we can look at uh, what it means for um, those for workers who can have uh, the ability to uh, a livelihood that allows them to sustain uh, themselves and their families here in California. And obviously, as I mentioned earlier, uh, we have to come to grips with uh, the cost drivers in our lives, uh, particularly as it relates to health care, as it relates to housing, obviously, which was just talked about, but also uh, things like child care, all the other work-enabling kinds of programs that uh, really do add costs to the pocketbooks of, of families in California.
2: Thank you. we we do have another audience question related to um, affordable housing so the question is can you expand on the rationale for the state looking at some high-cost communities to provide moderate to low-income housing through rena allocations
3: yeah um, first of all i think the rena allocations are i mean they're always so ambitious Um, and i don't know that the tools that we have are necessarily uh, going to um, you know, uh, meet the goals that are expressed um, in in the uh, the arena goals. Uh, but I, what, what I will say is this: um, I think there has to be other. Um uh, uh, parties and partners and, and players that need to come into the space and, and what I will say is that I know we're starting to see uh, a lot more of our institutional investors and public pension funds begin to look at uh, housing as an area uh, for investment especially and not new housing construction but really more of um, uh, rehabilitation of housing and uh, keeping existing housing stock improving on existing housing stock as a way to uh, really get uh, more housing units online quickly and uh, also, uh, be able to um, uh, earn on that investment. Uh, so, I do think there needs to be you know other players brought to bear on this. Um, you know, I, for for California, I think we need to uh, be looking at housing much more smartly. And I think the arena goals um, don't quite do that in terms of. Uh, looking at demographic changes, looking at housing preferences, uh, looking at geographic locations that uh, at least suggest to me, uh, I mean, who would have known that Fresno would become the hot housing market during this pandemic, right? And so, you know, when you look at all of these changes, I'm not sure that what we've outlined in terms of our goals through the arena process is actually what we're going to end up, you know, really seeing as the, um, as, as where uh, our housing stock ultimately will, will, will be uh, built. Uh, the other thing I will say is this, too. Um, I think with all of the measures we've seen on the ballot in California over rent control uh, that uh, we can't forget that, um, you know, just a little under it's around in the mid 40s, about 45% of Californians are renters. And so uh, while we have uh, talked a lot about uh, home ownership as the goal, I think uh, we also need to be uh, mindful about uh, what renters have been facing, and particularly during this pandemic when we have seen eviction uh, moratoria and uh, certainly uh, landlords also facing tremendous burdens uh, during this uh, pandemic. Uh, so, how do we look at uh, what we do uh, for renters that also uh, have the ability to? provide some, you know, longer term options for them. So it's not just about, um, you know, being, uh, it's not about rent control. uh, But really, the long term option is more housing stock, and the ability of renters to eventually be in an ownership uh, kind of a situation. So I think the conversation needs to be broadened. I think more parties need to be brought to uh, into the space uh, so that we can have uh, the broadest uh, array of options as possible to even begin to think about how we're going to meet some of these goals, particularly in high cost areas.
2: Thank you for that. And I can't imagine the the number of diverse stakeholders you have in trying to manage developing solutions. So I I do commend you for that. Um, You did mention that your term is over in the next year. Any thoughts on what roles you have um, interest in pursuing next?
3: Yeah, I think um, what this pandemic has really um, affected me is really thinking about how for probably the first time in my um, 35-plus year career, um, it's really hit me hard about how insulated I've become from the community uh, in terms of just everyday, direct, hands-on experience. And uh, while I keep a pretty good pulse about what's happening throughout all of California and uh, feel that I have a good sense of what is happening in each of the regions of California, uh, it has uh, been particularly frustrating for me not to be able to be on the ground to... Uh, really see and understand more about the lived experiences of Californians, particularly during crisis, And, and that helps, I think, obviously, with how we direct our public resources. It also helps with respect to how we can help uh, those uh, who have been affected the most uh, be able to uh, rebuild and to build resiliency, uh, uh, resilience in their communities going forward. So, uh, the work that I feel like I am destined to do after uh, my term is up is going to be about um, how we uh, look at um, uplifting those communities. Um, And uh, one of the areas I've been very, very focused on is in uh, uh, small business development, uh, looking at, uh, particularly in our communities of color, uh, looking at how we can uh, restore and uh, just uh, shore up and bolster our community development financial institutions, and uh, minority depository uh, um, uh, institutions, so that we can uh, have those uh, be right there in the communities that have been so severely affected. They can service those communities and uh, also help to uh, maybe build uh, even some workforce initiatives around uh, how we have uh, more people from those communities be interested in careers in finance. So uh, it's been a passion of mine, and I think that is, uh, whatever I do next, will have that as a cornerstone. Great. Well, hopefully you have a
2: chance to focus more on that and you'll have a a ton to offer in that area with all of the great experience you've gained over the years. We have uh, one more audience question, and uh, that is, what are your thoughts and ideas for addressing the growing homelessness
3: problems across California? Yeah, it is is, uh, one that has uh, obviously been... um, Not just concentrated in particular areas now, but as a statewide crisis. And, um, you know, some of it I think has to do with really, uh, first and foremost, understanding how much more complex this issue has become. You know, that we're not talking about uh, necessarily the chronically homeless as we had been in the past, but that uh, really because of the affordability crisis we have here in California, uh, the complexion of who is housing insecure and who are homeless uh, has really changed uh, over time. And what I would say is this. Uh, we talked a little bit about uh, really having an emphasis on renters, and I think that's, uh, that's key because we want to keep those numbers of those who, are, who become homeless uh, at a minimum. We want to just not have any more you know, add to the ranks of those who are uh, living uh, without uh, 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 housing security. Um, you know, I think um, some of the models that I've seen that have really worked well uh, really require uh, broad community input, broad community participation, broad community engagement. And I am just going to um, uh, just, just uh point out a program that I particularly have grown fond of and uh, it is uh, what the Bakersfield homeless center has been doing here in California and the whole um, thrust of the center is um, really looking at how to move um, people and uh, individuals and families into permanent housing as quickly as possible and uh, what the center provides is a lot of really basic uh, types of support um, all the way from uh, just uh, the basic needs of what uh, families need uh, clothing obviously uh, shelter uh, but also uh, education for the children who are part of the shelter there's a a a distance learning program right at the site Uh, there's after-school programming uh, but also job training and uh, and, uh, case management And it is an intensive program. Uh, It is not by any means well resourced, but it is um, staffed by some of the most uh, dedicated people you could ever meet who are just very interested in the health and livelihoods of the people who come through the center. And why I particularly like what the center does is because um, some of the partnerships they've been able to establish in the community are with property managers of of, uh, apartments, of of housing units, uh, with the county, um, with uh, so many of the uh, employers in the area, uh, to actually look at essentially uh, taking a chance on some of the families that have been a part of their center. And because they provide ongoing Case management—it um, really does um, alleviate a burden for so many who are uh, wanting to um, possibly take a risk at uh, renting, you know, to these families. Uh, and uh, it has been a model that has worked, I think, very well. Um, that these, uh, uh, when you can have that support along with um, shelter uh, that is uh, permanent um i think that is uh, what needs to happen and it can be uh, provided in so many different ways i don't think that it's all necessarily about moving people into housing as you and i know housing jasmine but it can be in very uh, innovative ways as well and so i would just encourage you to check out the bakersfield homeless center website for the amazing work that they do the partnerships they've been able to establish and uh, and the fact that now uh, many of those whom they have assisted are now back at the center volunteering, are even uh, now uh, working as case managers to help uh, others who have been in their shoes, uh, who have unfortunately fallen into their shoes at this moment.